Real Nerd Hours. Hello. Hey, hey. We're back again with another week of that sweet, sweet content that you all know and love. Yeah, them sweet meats bring the heats. Yeah. Real Nerd Hours. Gee. Your favorite slice of life podcast. Uh, episode 101. 101, baby. Bring out the Dalmatians. Get them spots on deck. Yeah, and then skin them and wear them as a coat. Because, honestly, that would be a pretty fly-ass coat. Like, but, like, I- let's be real. Cuella DeVille as a villain was just, like, a weird psycho. Oh, yeah. Like, why Why are you out here kidnapping dogs in order to make your fucking coat? And why do they have to be these dogs? Right. It's very strange. Like, they were the last Dalmatians on the planet. She was wealthy enough to fly across the world and get any kind of dog she wanted to make a coat out of. But it had to be those ones. It had to be those specific ones. I mean, they were down the street, and there's 15 of them. They were also puppies. Yeah. Like, you would have to wait for at least a year for them to grow so that you have more fur to work with. Yeah. Like, that's just impractical. Incredibly. Incredibly. She was also very dumb, as it turns out. Yep. Who would have thunk? Yeah, right. On this week's show, we're talking about the Stream Wars. And I sit down and have a conversation with my buddy Jasper. Yeah. Uh, we talk about Red Dead Redemption 2, D&D, and beer. So yeah, Things we all know and love. Yeah, uh, it's a good chat. Stay tuned for that. But first, let's get into the Stream Wars. Yeah. It's the Stream Wars being everybody in their fucking grandmother's company needs to have their own streaming service for some reason or another. Because cable is dead. And they need to find a way to cater to us millennials. Right. Like, you say that, but Cable's not really dead. No, Cable is definitely not dead. (laughs) Like, all right. I I pulled up a list of all of the streaming services available online. All of them. Uh, Well, I assume it's all of them. It's a pretty comprehensive list. Some of them are available in certain countries. Some of them are available elsewhere. To, To make my point... I'm going to read every single one of these. Oh, boy. Philo, Fubo TV, Sling TV, YouTube TV, Hulu with Live TV, PlayStation View, DirecTV Now, AT&T Watch TV, Pluto.TV, Zumo with an X, Cloud TV with a K and W. (laughs) (laughs) LG, Huh? Why not? (laughs) Yeah, right? LG, LG Channel Plus. TV Everywhere, Xfinity, Instant TV, ITV Hub, UK TV Play, TV Player, Freeview, and that's general live TV streaming, so you can watch like your favorite USA Network TV show or whatever. Yes. Still got to fast forward through commercials if you can, but there are more. There yep, are it, far more. They don't stop. Live sports streaming services, ESPN Plus, NBA League Pass, NFL Game Pass, NHL TV, Fox Soccer Match Pass, UFC Fight Pass, WWE Network, NBC Sports Gold, MLB TV, Willow TV, F1 TV, Sportsnet Now, Canada only, Ginks, Twitter, and DAZN, Dazen, DAZN. I don't know what that last one is. I don't know what most of these are. I've never heard of most of these. But Twitter's on this list because they do live sports broadcasting as well. Oh, they do, don't they? Yeah. Every now and again, you'll see like a WNBA game or an MLS game playing, which I appreciate. But like, damn, dog. (laughs) I'm glad they finally instituted volume controls on Twitter, though. That shit was 
killing me for a while. The video player on Twitter in general is pretty fucking terrible. And Facebook, for that matter. I feel like it used to be better. Yeah. They just change things to change them. Yeah, definitely. But whatever. Live TV and on-demand mix options. So this is basically rent and live TV. Amazon Prime Video. 2,000 years later. The Fetch, Australia only. Foxtel Now, Australia only. Now TV, UK only. And now we're getting into the on-demand services. Netflix, Hulu, Yahoo View, Fandango Now, Tubi TV, Crackle, Popcorn Flicks, Apple iTunes, Google Play, Hook, H-O-O-Q, which is apparently limited to Southeast Asia, so they're not making shit. Uh, <laughs> iFlix, which is Asia, Middle East, and Africa, they're not making shit. Shout Factory TV, Voodoo, Vimeo, Pantaflix, Crave TV, Canada only, Mind You, Canada only, and they only, they're the only provider for Letterkenny, apparently, which <laughs> is really shitty. Uh, Movie Network Go, Cineplex, Chili, Volta, SBS On Demand, Quickflix, Big star movies. This, I'm. I just got to the second section on page two. Be prepared. This keeps on going. Oh God! Crunchyroll, Funimation, now Verve, High Dive, Anime Lab, Haya, which seems a little bit racist. <laughs> DC Universe, Curiosity Stream, Guide Doc, Pure Flix, Dove Channel, Up Faith and Family, Drama Fever, Kokawa TV. Eros Now, Brit Box, Acorn TV, Filmstruck, Fandor, Gaia, Kello, Quello, Kello, Q E L L O, I don't know what that is, Reverie, Tribeca Shortlist, Realize, which is spelled like you would expect, like on a Tupac album, R E A L E Y Z, weird, Disney Life which is apparently UK only movie short of the week canopy with a K urban movie channel Rakuten Vicky Rakuten Vicky is one thing. Sorry. That was a weird read <laughs> shutter Screenbox, Sundance. Now HBO. Now AMC premiere lifetime movie club for all you single ladies out there that want to be reminded that men will only murder you. CBS all access hallmarks movie. Now, uh, that's another channel for you ladies out there that want to be reminded continuously that men will only murder you. FX Plus, <laughs> History Vault, Showtime, Stars, Epics, Max Go, The CW and CWC, uh, Seed, BBC iPlayer, ABC iView, 10 Play, um, and Twitch is listed on there, but that's, I don't know why. Um, look. That's a lot of streaming services. It's too many. Yeah, there's far too many. And I wish at this point, I was making fun of the idea before, but I wish there was an aggregated service that had everything that was worth watching on it. Because that's there's no fucking way I'm going to pay. Some of these range from like the higher end ones, of course, the live TV ones, which are $40 plus or $25 plus a month. And then you have the mid-range ones that go from... Four ninety nine up to about twelve ninety nine. I think yeah. is the most expensive one, and I don't think that a lot of these are worth it. And it's a lot of work, even though it's not like a ton of work, to just cycle through the subscriptions you want after seasons of television come out. Because like, if you don't want to be part of the zeitgeist and talk about it, then you don't need to have any of these streaming services like all the time. It's it's 
fucking insane to me how many options there are and there's still stuff that's coming out or like that people are going to make yeah like disney has been threatening to make a streaming service for probably over a year now so that's going to happen and you know people are gonna have to pony up for that because the mouse is very protective of his IPs. <laughs> yeah, and that's part of the reason why I think all those uh, Netflix Marvel shows are getting canceled. Yeah. But I don't know that any streaming service is worth keeping all the time. I mean, you're kind of in a position if you have Amazon Prime to just have it all year round yeah. anyway. So it doesn't really make that big a difference. But if you're like starting to worry about the ethical implications of supporting Amazon, then maybe you want to drop that. Yeah, yeah, that is the thing. But basically what ends up happening with all of these subscription services, like if you are subscribed to Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, uh, and whatever upcoming Disney thing and HBO Go, you're basically just paying cable prices again anyway. Yeah, you might as well just buy a package because cable isn't... I mean, it's expensive, but it's not like insurmountable, right? Yeah. If you get an internet and TV bundle, you can get like two cable boxes or something for like 120 a month. And that's it's a lot of money. But some of the perks that you get with a cable package is cool. Like you get HBO Go. Yeah. I think it's called. Yeah. And you get like ESPN Plus. Yeah, if you're into sports, it's definitely a strong advantage yeah, to definitely. have those sports channels. Because uh, some of those are really hard to actually uh, have access to without a cable subscription. Yeah. And this, even, is, this is by no means shilling for cable. It's more so just you're kind of fucked no matter what you do. Yeah. Even if you're buying these like individualized sports packages from the streaming sports sites like NBA League Pass, which I have a huge problem with. Their quality is fucking terrible all the time. Ugh. And my internet is fast as fuck, so their CDN is shit. Yeah. And I have the same problem with Netflix, but Netflix has the excuse of like having a ton of traffic, and plus they prioritize traffic for things like the PS4 or even the desktop app for <laughs> Windows really? 10. Yeah. Like if you're if you're watching Netflix on your Chrome browser, I think if I recall correctly, it maxes out at a certain um, bit rate. Yeah, it'll max out at a certain bit rate and only serve you a specific quality. No shit. Yeah. So what I've done is I've downloaded the Windows 10 application from the Windows Store <laughs> and use that to watch it on my computer because the quality is a little bit better. That's so roundabout and stupid yeah it is and uh, god don't get me fucking started on this shit but anyway league pass is like 200 for the season and that's if you buy it right at the top of the season if you wait until the all-star break i think it's like a hundred dollars or like 50 bucks or something like that which is halfway through the season yeah but it's it's a lot of money that you're paying for a lot of streaming services and if i had to go out on a limb and say like these are the streaming services you should really fuck with i would say that hulu is one if you watch anime yeah. because they just signed that deal with funimation yeah 
And on top of that, they have like up to date and current TV shows and they have the mindless TV that's good for people that just want <laughs> background noise. Yeah. So if you want to put on like every season of Kitchen Nightmares or Hotel Hell, you can just pop it on in the background and just have it play. You can find every episode of that shit on YouTube. Oh, can you? It's real easy. Oh, okay. Well, just use YouTube then. Fuck it. <laughs> and some of these other programs on here are just worthless because there's a ton of overlap for these movies. Yeah, that's that's one thing that's also kind of shitty about subscribing to multiple of these like large kind of universal programs and packages is that there's a lot of overlap and there's still some stuff that you want that you still can't find. Yeah. Like some movies just aren't available on any streaming service without just outright buying it. Yeah. And at this point it's kind of frustrating. (laughs) Very because you should in theory, at least in the mind of somebody who doesn't really enjoy capitalism nor understand why it works the way it does. But (laughs) you, you would think that even with selective rights for certain areas, one of the things that I super duper hate is exclusivity rights. Mm-hmm. Like why, why is it that I have to wait for red dead redemption to come out on PC if it ever does, right? Like why would you make it only on consoles? That's weird. Well, that one I think is actually a, a platform thing where they actually have to, redo some code for some aspects you need to work on all of it at the same fucking time (laughs) Uh, this is this it's 20 fucking 18 it took 10 years for that game to come out so you're telling me in the 10 years that it took for that game to be released they couldn't i don't know work on all three at the same time i don't know how that works i don't know how that works at all backseat game developing but i want it it took 10 (laughs) years it took fucking 10 years you could have you're not yeah you're you're not going to be able to tell me that it couldn't get done in 10 years but But, i I, am of the mind that the console exclusives or like PC exclusives, anything that doesn't like strictly require something that is specific for a console or PC or whatever, like a switch game may not port well to Xbox one. I can accept that they control very differently, but something like why is street fighter five not on Xbox one that's just because Sony said, nah, yeah. you don't get to go into Microsoft. Exactly. And bringing it back to streaming, that's how it is for a gang of those Netflix and Marvel yeah. movies. Like for a long time, I was using a VPN to route my traffic to other countries because I wanted to be able to watch certain things that were available on Netflix that weren't available in the U.S. Like Netflix Canada has some fucking heat on it like two years ago. Huh. And I was going through, they had so many of the Marvel movies and they weren't available in the U.S. at all. Shit, Yeah, most Marvel movies were not available on Netflix until like maybe six months ago. Yeah. And it's really shitty how they like demand that the rights are done in a certain way. And then like they say, okay, pay us X amount and no other streaming service can get this. Yeah. And it's really shitty because... If I'm between streaming services, not to say that I've ever had to do this or I've definitely done this before, but not in the way that I'm about to describe, drop a service so I can pick one up. Yeah. Like I, I'm not out here finding myself 
dropping Hulu so I can pick up like HBO now or HBO <laughs> right, Go. Right. Because what's going to end up happening inevitably is I'm probably just going to pirate something. Yeah. Like if I want to see it bad enough to the point where it's going to take me like the 10 steps to drop one subscription service and then have them say like, look, dog, if you stay around, like we'll give you a little bit off of this like yeah, yeah. rather than playing like twelve ninety nine, how about you pay us nine ninety nine? And I say, that's a yeah. pretty tempting offer. All right, so I'll hold on to this. And then I end up paying double for the I'm stupid. But <laughs> uh I, I pay for both of those services anyway. So fuck it. Uh or hey, but you did save those three dollars. Yeah, yeah, save those three dollars a month. And like granted, like not everybody's in a position where they have room in their personal budgets to be able to get like the five streaming services that they hardly watch. Right. I paid for, um, WWE network for a while because I got into wrestling for some dumbass reason. (laughs) Shout out to Ash. I, yeah. Shout outs to Ash. Shout outs to virtual pro shout outs to all the wrestling, the wrestling homies. I like wrestling now, uh, which is not something I should be admitting out loud, (laughs) (laughs) but I do, I do. And ultimately like, there was a point in my life where I had like six streaming services that I was paying for. It was Hulu, um, Netflix, Prime. I don't like I count Prime, but that's the cost of it is like so minimal for each month. It's I want to say somewhere around it's a hundred dollars if you're not a student, right? Yeah, and you, I do the pay it all up front at the start of the year. Yeah, same. So. Yeah, I don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's like I don't know, maybe a hundred and twenty. Let's call it a hundred and twenty for the sake of math. Sure, another twelve dollars a month, ten bucks a month. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, and then I have, of course, music streaming. Yep, which we haven't even gotten on to. <laughs> yeah, that's another. Uh, <laughs> I was paying for Spotify and uh, what was it called? What title? Title. Yeah, it was back when I first started my audio file shit. Ah, uh, yeah. The sound quality on title, to be completely fair, is way better than Spotify. Oh yeah, I mean Spotify quality is okay if you're doing premium using their app and everything. Yeah. But title is actually very good. Yeah, it's not actually kind would, of surprising. Not that I would ever actually bother with it because most of the time I'm playing music, I'm doing something else anyway. So. It doesn't matter that much to me. Yeah, I'm never finding myself in a position anymore where I'm like sitting at home and I've got my two expensive headphones on. Yeah. And I'm like holding a snifter of bespoke sound waves, just <laughs> sniffing them or whatever, and like swooshing them around in my mouth or whatever the fuck. I'm like, I'm not in that position anymore. Yeah. I no. was fucking with the audio file shit for a little bit, but then it came, I, I came to the conclusion that I was spending too much money on it despite having, yeah, I, I spent too much money. I spent like a grand. Yeah, that's not bad as far as audio files go. Yeah, that's just beginner entry yeah. level shit. But going back to streaming, I have you YouTube Red or oh, YouTube yeah. Premium now. Uh, I have I I've paid for a lot of streaming services in my time. At most during any given month, I was paying like sixty or seventy dollars or something for, yeah, for that's, streaming. That's too much. Yeah, it is, and. It, saying asking myself like yo like would i be better off with the cable package and still coming to the conclusion that like 
no because like piracy exists yeah it's yeah. still with all that with us coming to the conclusion that you were paying too much it's still not worth it for cable yeah and having most of these streaming services isn't worth it as well because what ends up happening with the exception let's leave music streaming out of this sure there's not a good method of discovery for new material on these platforms the algorithms recommend you dumb shit based on the other dumb shit that you watch yeah but it's always hard for the algorithm to like discern quality in these things right (laughs) yes i'll watch like i'll watch drop zone on netflix and because it's got wesley snipes in it it's gonna recommend you blade and then i'll watch blade which is cool and then like because i'll go down like a rabbit hole of watching action movies it'll then recommend some fucking steven seagal movie from like 2012 or some shit not even young steven seagal but old fat steven seagal washed up seagal yeah or some scott adkins b movie oh man i would even call them c movies dog they're so terrible scott adkins is in some fucking terrible movies man (laughs) there is one scene however oh what was the movie called oh fuck um Universal Soldier 2. Mm-hmm. There's one scene in Universal Soldier 2 that's really fucking cool, and then the rest of the movie is garbage. I mean, most of those movies, the problem with those is like they look like they're shot on DSLRs. Yeah. And the lighting is always super weird and harsh. Yeah, like they're trying to be gritty, but it ends up just looking like Gears of War. Yeah. It's where everything's just brown and blown out. Yeah, it's real gross. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess the ultimate conclusion here is like fucking pirate everything. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That's we can't legally condone that. Yeah. Legally, I'm not telling you to pirate things, but um, I wish there was a better way to discover new stuff because I do really love TV and movies and I love the experience of watching a new movie. That's really great for the first time and discovering new things is difficult because of algorithms. They just, they give you things that they assume are catered towards your taste, but like most of them are just garbage. Like I know some of it is done through, you know, a basic form of machine learning where it's like, okay, People who watch this movie also watch this movie or, you know, on a more surface level of, oh, this director did this or this actor did that. So you probably like this other stuff. But, yeah, there's no there's no uh, nuance to it. It's just like, okay, well, we're just going to throw some shit at you. And if you watch it, cool. But if not, keep scrolling. Yeah, it's like, oh, you watch this movie. Or somebody else watch this movie and then watch this movie. Yeah. Well, that's because you're recommending them that second movie, you right. asshole. And you're still catering this stuff to the same people. Yeah. It's stupid. Streaming, it's streaming, man. It, I wish I wish this shit was better. I wish we didn't live in like a hellscape of really shitty movies and like bad algorithms that suggest bad, dumb things. Yeah, I I don't know. I <laughs> I also gotta say that the <laughs> the fucking Netflix algorithm is pretty racist. Like if you watch one thing that's like a Chinese action movie, instantly you're going to get international films and it's like all just Asian stuff. You watch one thing with a black star, boom, black movies instantly. <laughs> yeah. You watch one thing with vampires, 
you get fucking Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Steven Seagal is garbage human oh, being. Man. Oh, speaking of which, I went on a hunt for podcasts, recommend, podcast recommendations. Uh, so a little Steven bit Seagal has a podcast, huh? No, no, no. There's a, there's a podcast that was recommended to me by Charles. Shoutouts to Charles. Yeah, yeah. Called Behind the Bastards. Aha. Uh-huh. And it's basically like the white people's tea report. Okay. And they're just talking about all the awful things that people have done in their time. There's and, a lot. Yeah, there are a lot of bad people who've done a lot of bad things. Steven Seagal is one of those people who's done a lot of bad shit to a lot of people. Yo, I, this is, call this political or not, listen to the last episode to see how we feel about if you get mad about this. <laughs> but, <laughs> yo, a lot of those conservative movie stars are dicks. Not a surprise. Like, not in, not even just like, oh, this person's a little bit mean. But no, like, these people have done some kind of fucked up shit in their past. Like, shout out to Tim Allen for being an ex-Coke runner that snitched on his whole ass crew. Ooh, not a surprise. Yep. Uh, Steven Seagal, uh, accused of rape most multiple times. I could see it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, check out Behind the Bastards if you really want to know about terrible things people have done. <laughs> uh, my Steam link finally came in. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I bought it when it was $2.50 on yep. Steam. And I, I don't think I'm ever going to open it. I don't want to use it. I don't care about it. I don't know why I bought it. I, I thought about it when because it went on sale for $2.50. And one of the guys I played Dota with was like, oh, yeah, I have one of those. I used it once. <laughs> I'm like okay I guess I'm gonna save that $2.50 I mean the total came out to like $10 because of shipping yeah that's the that's the part that I was like man I don't even really want this that bad uh, $7 in shipping man uh, I guess it would be funny to just like put it on a shelf somewhere and just have it sitting in the background what does it like, even do it's so it's basically like uh, a way to remote desktop into your computer. Oh uh, yeah, okay. You so s- you can put it onto a TV that isn't connected to a, yeah. a PC. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. I mean that, that's cool. I can see where the use for that is, like why there would be a demand for that. Mm-hmm. I have a computer hooked up to my TV. I don't have a a TV without a computer. So <laughs> there is no purpose for that. Fair enough. And real quick, just to touch on another news topic that I saw come up, Epic is allowing other games to be put on their platform, their web platform, or mm. not web platform, but games platform where they have uh, Fortnite. Yeah. Fortnite and their other dumb games that nobody <laughs> plays. Uh, it's Epic's game launcher and like their unique value proposition for other game makers is the fact that they've got like dumb amount of kids on there already playing Fortnite. That is pretty appealing. Like yeah. if, if some of those kids see something that looks kind of like Fortnite, that isn't Fortnite, <laughs> they might just go and say, Hey dad, can I buy this game? It's five bucks. And that'll say, yeah, whatever, whatever keeps your mouth shut. And that's it. And, and this is how Valve is dethroned, man. Yeah. They're going to be put in a position to where they have to make Half-Life 3 now. <laughs> They're going to have to make it. They have to. They don't have a choice now. Yeah. Uh, they changed their share as well. Epic is doing 88 to the creators and 12% to them. 
That's pretty good. Yeah, and Valve just changed theirs. I can't remember what it was at one point. Steam's been having some some controversy lately because there was a time, you know, they had their their green light uh, system, and it was really kind of random what was getting greenlit and what wasn't. Like there were some games that were clearly just made on a whim and as a joke that are on the market and other things that had some work put into them that didn't make the cut for whatever reason. Obviously, like any AAA game or even, you know, B game will make it just because they're at a higher standard. But like there was controversy with that. So then they changed that. So they made it much stricter. So that it was like only games with real effort put into them were going to make it, and then people were like, "Yo, where? What? Do, how do? How do we publish our games now? Do we just go indie?" And they're like, "Okay, well, fine. Everything's in." And then it was fucking chaos. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, "Okay, okay, okay, everything's in except for actual just literal porn and actually just viruses. Everything else." You're fine. Bitcoin miners, you're in. <laughs> yeah. That, that was like a huge problem for that week where they let everything in. It's like, well, yeah, it's a shovelware game that takes up way too much of your CPU because now your PC is just a Bitcoin miner. Yep. Yeah. Good oh, times. Valve. I mean, Valve's going to be around for a while, but they might not exist in the same capacity that they did for forever. I mean, they were a monolith for the longest time where they no one really fucked with them. You know, EA had their service, whatever that was called. Origin. Origin, yeah. yeah. Um, Ubisoft, Uplay came out after that. Yeah, and then like Microsoft Store and Apple Store, you know. And Activision, Blizzards, Bl- Battle.net. Oh, yeah, they had Battle.net. Yeah. I mean, Battle.net's been around for a while, but they only do their own games. Yeah. So it's like, that's kind of it's a different thing, but like all those other platforms that tried never really came close to fucking with Steam. No, no, because they couldn't amass the player base that would make them or any other creator turn away from Steam. Yeah. Because it's just another set of hoops to jump through. Yeah, people are into convenience, and that's kind of what it boils down to with our talk about streaming services. People are going to do whatever's easiest and if you start presenting people with too many options, they're just going to not make the choice. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to stick with what I have, or I'm not going to do any of this, or I'm just going to f- say, fuck all of this and pirate everything. Yeah. Because yeah. that's also a pretty convenient option still. Yeah, it is. Cracks aren't hard to come by. Nope. <laughs> yeah. What a bummer. Yep. Oh, well, they made their choices. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, something that's slightly confusing to me, is the fact that Tumblr's stripping away all the porn oh, off the site. Man. So my understanding <laughs> of this, just real briefly, is that there was an issue with child porn on the site, which in return got them taken off of the Apple iTunes store. And then in return, they said, all right, no porno. Yeah, apparently this was also because Tumblr used to be owned by yahoo and then they got bought out by verizon and so in addition to the apple store controversy and whatever then verizon was also like yo there's a child porn problem no fuck that no porn we're out of here because you know then verizon's shareholders and advertisers and whoever 
also didn't want to deal with that. And, uh, yeah, so they said, fuck it, no porn. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I can understand why the user base is upset, but, like, that seems like a fairly reasonable response, right? Like, you were taken off of one of the largest platforms on earth for apps and like there's no alternative app store which in itself is kind of a problem right yeah or like apple's not a platform suited towards people who are into the diy lifestyle so they're not going to download like whatever the apple version of an apk is just to upload the app to their phone they're not going to do that and plus tumblr's user base is pretty young yeah which again part of why child porn would definitely be an issue but yeah, no, I, I understand the response, except that they probably could have just made it easier to report those and ban those users. Well, yeah, that's that's true. Yes. But you know how fucking traditional media companies get around yeah. porn. <laughs> it's one thing if you say like, OK, like there's porn here. Don't worry about it. But as soon as it's like, oh, there's porn here and it's a problem and there are children porn things on here. Oh, you wait. Hold on. There's porn here? Oh, uh, no. We don't want anything to do this. With yeah. This. Yeah. Yeah. But part of the controversy on top of that, like, I don't think people are too upset about not allowing porn itself. I mean, granted, there are plenty that are because a lot of people use Tumblr just for porn anyway. Which is weird. Yes, it is. But that's another conversation. Like people were making like weird bespoke porno gifts yeah. for that site. It was it was kind of like Pinterest for porn in a lot of ways. Yeah, there are some of those tumblers. But um, you know, obviously, a lot of LGBT young people use Tumblr as like their outlet, and there's a lot of concern that these kids exploring and expressing themselves is going to be labeled as explicit. I mean, yeah, it will be, but like, so are paintings of circles, right? Like they're going through and basically flagging everything. Yeah, no, but like once this great purge is done, uh, which will be on Friday, I think once that's done, because right now they're flagging fucking everything. Um, and the, People who weren't here just for porn are still using the site, but they're talking about like, oh, me and my boyfriend, you know, we're fooling around and, you know, I was uncomfortable or whatever, you know, whatever. They're they're concerned that stuff that's not not just innocent, but more innocuous will get flagged anyway because it's gay in nature. I mean, that doesn't seem like a problem to me like not to belittle anybody's experience in life but like you have reddit dog just go reddit yeah basically the response has been fuck tumblr if this becomes a problem we have to find somewhere else and i gotta say every alternative that i've seen (laughs) that i've seen uh suggested looks fucking horrible like just awful i think there's one called like pufferfish or something Mm mm-hmm uh, the logo looks like a terrible ripoff of Pinterest. Their web design is awful. All of their ads are terrible. And everyone's like, yeah, let's go to Pufferfish. The site's not even up yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go figure. 
Yeah, like I I understand the concern of having like your community ripped away from you and like being lost for a little bit, but like I'm not gonna try. I'm trying not to sound like an asshole about it, but it's like you'll fucking get over it, dog. No, you will. Like what? You're gonna miss out on your weird bespoke porno, (laughs) your artisanal porn that like some stranger in Idaho shot just of them like opening up their legs and then they put it, they take it off their camera. Put it in QuickTime Media Player, and then they use Gazo to like clip it and make sure that they get the perfect GIF of them opening up their legs so they can post it on Tumblr. A little bit too much work for a porno GIF, but like you really appreciate it. And like you'll fucking get over it. You'll find a way. And my my take on that is, I started on YTMND. That's you're the man now, dog. That had its run for a while. Then I went to 4chan. Then I went to basically nothing. And now kind of Reddit, but not really. Yeah, and Reddit like, sucks. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's times where it's fun, but there's a lot of just not. I mean, the internet's, I'm finding more and more. Uh, maybe I'm just running around and I'm looking in the wrong places. But the internet's kind of just an unsavory place that I don't want to be on too often. You have to find a... a community that you actually want to be part of shout out to the real nerd hours community yeah like it's legit just that and like the gang that we know that i talk to online and like i tried to join the streetwear startup community because i'm doing some work with somebody and those guys are all like whiny teenagers and shit of course and it's like fuck dog like I don't want to talk to you. Like you, none of you guys, like it's not that like I'm, I'm upset that they're not positive enough, but like they're all downers. They're ah. all like weird downers and it's fucking gross. Okay. Like, and I'm, I'm a 28 year old dude in a chat room full of like 18 to 21 year olds. The hope was like when we were younger that like everybody was going to be on the internet. Like yeah. everybody that you knew, like even your teachers would be using the internet. I mean, in a sense that is true. Yeah. But they skipped the important part of being on the internet and went straight to apps. Yep. So everybody's using like Instagram. Not everybody uses Twitter. Thank God. <laughs> uh, but most people use Facebook and like they missed the portion of like the fun internet. Right. Like when, when I was younger, I was like, yo, like, this isn't going to be the Wild West anymore. Like, there are going to be normal people in here yeah. who will be able to, like, cool everybody out. But no, that's not the case. What ends up happening is, is corporations come in and then force, like, whatever culture they want on the site, i.e. Tumblr, mm-hmm. getting rid of all the porno. <laughs> and then normies just stay away from everything. They yeah. just use, like, the normal people shit. Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Even, I mean, shit. I I have one friend who was a pretty avid uh, dater. <laughs> like she would just go out and meet a bunch of people, and she had multiple dates with different guys who didn't know what memes were like at all. That's yeah. I met a woman recently who had no idea what Netflix was. I mean, like she knew what the concept of Netflix was, but she didn't know that like there's certain exclusive content. She didn't ever use it before. She never heard of Hulu. I don't know how people function in this day and age. I mean, I get it if you're like 70 where you lived most of your life pre-internet. But if you were born past 1990 at least, you should be pretty plugged in just 
kind of naturally. Yeah, it, like it should infest your mind like osmosis. It should be kind of hard to avoid unless you specifically go out of your way. Like, you know, yeah. if you live out in the country and, you know, just don't have anybody that that's part of that culture, sure. But you're living in the city, the suburbs, whatever. You have a job that requires you to have a computer. I would expect at least some sort of internet literacy. But no, it's just you're either hyper plugged in or kind of oblivious to the internet. Yeah, the wider internet at large, right? Like you don't have any concept of like what really a website is because it's always opening in your dumbass Instagram <laughs> browser, which I fucking hate. I hate that these apps have their own fucking browsers oh, that you can't so turn off. Stupid. Shout outs to Twitter though because they did make it so you could turn off their in-app browser, but so many other ones have browsers and it's fucking annoying. It's really Just stupid. open the tab in Chrome, dog. That's all I want. It would be so much easier. It would be. But I guess that's that's a lot of bitching from me about the <laughs> internet. I just I, I it's so difficult just to meet fucking normal people on the internet. They don't exist. Now I have to go out and do things like lose weight and Ugh. be like a presentable person, Ugh. shave my facial hair just so I can make new friends who are normal. Like they're definitely uh more socially minded people on the internet, more uh yeah definitely normal people on the internet our discord community is filled with like normal people normal well-adjusted people shout outs to y'all normal well-adjusted people yeah like kokenon's coming out for comic-con next year oh man and like i look forward to grabbing a beer with him yeah yo shout out to you kokenon thank you for the care package yeah he sent us beer uh t-shirt a stein and a signed copy of uh the first edition of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the latest release. Oh, man. Yeah, he sent us some great shit. But, like, yeah, the people people that are in our community are pretty normal. At least they seem that way, right? Everyone who's at least active presents a good, normal face. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? If you can present a good, normal face... That's kind of good enough for most people. Yeah, you know, definitely. That's kind of that's kind of the story behind a lot of those like serial killer movies, like say American Psycho. He seems like a totally normal guy, and you know, no one would ever expect a thing. You know what? That's good enough for me. Even if you are a serial killer, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you present well enough. Good enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't be a serial killer, please. Yeah, that's not a good thing. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we're going to get into this chat that I did with my boy, Jasper. Yeah, yeah. All right. What up, Jasper? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good, man. Just getting off work a little bit early today and uh, got the next two days off. Going to be playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, yeah? How are you liking it? I'm liking it a lot. I beat... I don't really want to give too much away, but I I got pretty far into the game. And uh, now I'm kind of focusing on the online aspect just so I can kind of beta test it a little bit and just kind of push it to the edge. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I just want to make sure that the main game, I mean, that's not like my single gameplay is going to make the world's difference, but, you know, that's the point of beta testing, so I'm just getting a lot of hours in, building up the posse, got a couple of my buddies putting a posse together, I go by Dirty Dennis. 
<laughs> all right all right i feel you so for for red dead what's your favorite part about it hands down the story story and character progression i think rockstar does something really special with their character progression their voice acting their motion capture uh they really have it down i think i want to say more than like other developers but definitely in the top three i mean like one thing that a lot of reviewers is they say is that a like, gameplay kind of takes like a setback uh, in that the story is kind of like the main focus. So I kind of like see the game as just like sitting down and just like vegging out. I mean, my grandma watched me play the entire entirety of the first game just because she thought she was watching a Western. Oh, nice. That's fucking sick. Have you beaten the game yet? I, so I, not necessarily. And for those who have gotten to the point where I'm at, it would make sense. Uh, but I'm just in the end game right now. I'm in the end game right now. And I really don't want to give too much away, but I really like where they're heading. They're doing a lot of exposition to lead up to the first game where he plays John Marston. Um, and Ooh. the main game you play, or the Red Dead Redemption 2, you play as Arthur Morgan. And so it's really cool because it seems that Rockstar is like kind of using this end game to kind of give um, a little insight on how the first game kind of plays into you know plays into the uh all-around equation do you mind spoiling it at all yeah i mean you can yeah i mean so do you have any intention on playing the game yeah eventually okay but you don't mind being spoiled no not at all spoiler alert for you listeners at home yeah big 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 spoilers um so the main game you're playing as arthur morgan um and he is basically a um loyal bandit outlaw who's lived a really long life with this particular gang that he's part of and he's loyal to his uh, leader who goes by Dutch um, and it isn't until later in the game um, that Dutch kind of becomes unhinged and Arthur starts realizing that maybe Dutch is not necessarily the best person that he should be running with because he only thinks for himself and so what ends up happening is and this is the major spoiler Arthur actually gets tuberculosis uh, early on in the beginning of the game because there's a guy that he has to beat up and uh, basically extort money from and the guy coughs in his face uh, and it gets him sick and then a little bit later on um, he starts getting noticeable signs of like coughing and stuff and then they kind of like put it in the back end and then towards the end uh, he gets full-blown tuberculosis and once he gets tuberculosis um he sits down and he has like a deep discussion with like uh, a sister, like a nun, uh, who plays a pretty big role in one of the side quests. And they sit down and they kind of talk. And she basically tells him that you have a little bit of time left in this world. So now's the time to make amends. And so the way that the game basically plays out is toward the end is he just like lets everybody have it. Like, you know, everybody in his posse, everybody that like you know, he encounters with, like, he's, like, kicking people out of the gang, like, he's, um, he's just telling it how it is, like, he doesn't really care because he knows that he's on a timeline, so ultimately, he dies from tuberculosis in a shootout, uh, he dies in a shootout, and, like, he just overexerts himself and dies from exhaustion, uh, so that's why I was kind of saying, like, I, the part that I'm at now is they've passed the torch on to John Marston, who's the, uh, you know, the protagonist of the first game. That's dope. That's super dope. I look forward to playing it. Oh, man. It's one of the things that I really like about Rockstar games is like how deep and wide the world is. Mm -hmm. Because in 
up to a certain point, like open world games oftentimes had, they didn't have much to do in them, right? Uh-huh. Like, so finally the technology allows people to put as much shit as they want into these open world games. Like even some of the old GTA games, yeah. even though they were not as big, they had things to do in them, but it wasn't like fun shit to do. Like yeah. driving the taxi, that fucking sucks. Yeah. Driving the ambulance, that sucks. Being the cop doing the vigilante missions, yeah. that sucks. You barely make any money. There's no point unless you're just trying to role play. Yeah, trying to get the 100% in there. Yeah. And GTA 5 kind of turned that around because yes. like, they did a great job of, A, doing the story missions. The story was fucking pretty dope in oh my GTA 5. Mm-hmm. It's still one of my favorite games to play. Like, I'll spin it up. I don't even play online because the online experience kind of sucks. But yeah, we'll we get into that, I'm sure. That. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of everything in that game, it's just so much fun to, like, go through and do all the missions and it's like you're playing a movie as Mm -hmm. cliche as that sounds like they did a really great job of making the game feel cinematic they even though the characters of of course are caricatures of actual people yeah it's still fun to go through and role play essentially yeah i thought it was pretty interesting in gta 5 like because i i just recently before buying gta 5 i bought gta 4 and i played all the dlc and i i loosely played san andreas but you know, you only play as one protagonist. I was I was really wondering how they were going to handle having three protagonists. But uh, I thought that GTA Five did an amazing job at that. I mean, like every character brings something different to the table. You got like the street smarts guy, you got the rich high roller, and then you just got the crazy guy. And they just like somehow make it work all together. And then you know, shit hits the fan towards the end of the game. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really fucking enjoy GTA five. Part of the problem that I do have though, and it seems like it's going to be mirrored in red dead redemption is the online money making stuff, dude. It's such a grind constantly to even make money to buy your cars, to do all kinds of shit in that game. Even when running heists with strangers, it's so hard to make even a little bit of money. Yeah. And I know I haven't played GTA online, but I heard this heist, like they got to be executed like really well and they're long. Yeah. It takes a long fucking time. So the first few heists that I ran, I think I did like the first three, none of the DLC heists, I don't think, but it took like four or five hours to get one done and you don't make much money from it. You make, I mean, it seems like a lot, right? Because in the game you make similar amounts, but everything is jacked up Mm -hmm. so much in price. What's the the currency in GTA six? Like the GTA six online? I'm pretty sure it's still dollars, mm. but they have things like shark cards or whatever that That's you like can buy. That's like the premium currency. Yeah. I don't actually I don't think there even is a premium currency. I'm pretty sure what it is is that it's just a set dollar amount. Got it. So in order to make the money, like you can buy a shark card worth eight million dollars, mm-hmm. and that'll buy you a lot of shit, but it's also like fifty bucks or something like that. Yeah. And like to make that amount of money, you have to grind. It's it's not grinding for eight hours and you're good. It's grinding for like a week and a half. And I yeah. think it's really, really exploitative. That's what I'm starting to notice a little bit in um Red redemption online um i just saw an article recently before i go into what i'm going to say that polygon i like kind of glazed over it a little bit but uh polygon is actually uh the polygon said that rockstar is listening to its beta players and that they're going to do a complete 
um, economy overhaul. So hopefully that'll remedy it, but chances are it won't. Nah, yeah. man. They made too much money. Maybe oh, I'm yeah. too cynical. Yeah. They made too much money on GTA 5, and they're still raking it I, in. I mean, Red Dead Redemption 2 was the biggest opening in all of entertainment biggest opening weekend uh, in all of entertainment history. The biggest opening would be GTA five because that was released in the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's definitely a major grind uh, in the online currency uh, in the main game. You know, this takes place in the 1800s uh, where like a dollar is like worth $20. Now um, in the main game, you make money relatively fast. And then towards the end of the game, you're just like have way too much money. You don't even know what you want to do. Um, but in the online mode, for instance, if you were to loot somebody, you would get like three to five bucks in the main game. In the online mode, you're getting like six cents. Yeah. It's worthless. It's it it's almost like they're laughing in your face a little yeah. bit because it's like they're they're giving you the option straight up. Like mm-hmm. you can either buy this yeah. or you can fuck around and not have shit. They do have a premium currency too. It's called gold bars. And you accrue gold bars. You need 100 gold nuggets to make one gold bar. And if you want to, like, for instance, get your basic gun and just change all the color on it, it's 32 gold bars. Yeah, you get uh, one gold bar and maybe, like, like eight to ten straight hours of playing. Yeah, fuck them. They know what they're doing, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They overwork their employees, and then they make you pay a lot of money. I mean, I don't know what their employees' pay is like, but I know that most of those people are salaried. I worked downstairs from Rockstar for a long fucking time, and they were surprised by the hours that we used to work. But, I mean, some of those people are just there 24 hours a day. Sometimes people would leave midday. Like, there was one cat that I knew. I can't remember his name. But oftentimes during crunch, what he would end up doing is he would go home, like, at 4 in the afternoon, sleep for a little bit, and then come back at midnight. And it was gnarly. I don't know what his function was, though. He could have been somebody super high up. But even with that said, I don't... I don't like that people even choose to work those hours. I know that a lot of um, game developers and game designers and graphic designers, like every position in the creation of a game, a lot of them are like tossed around between like companies because I guess a lot of them, you know, you got the big dogs like you're saying. And I I don't know if it's 100% true. I just know what I've seen on like YouTube and like all that stuff. But uh, a lot of them, it's hard to hold the job in that industry. In a manner of speaking, yeah. Yeah. I would phrase it in a different way, though. The way that it works is the VFX industry works in a similar way. Mm -hmm. What they do is they hire people on short-term contracts so they don't have to provide benefits so they can get away with working you mad hours and saying, like, look, this is a short-term contract. You just got to work the hours, and then you'll have some money saved up afterwards to get you from job to job, which used to be the case, like, a fucking decade ago. But that's no longer the case. Like, people aren't paying you enough money to make it so you can last after a job. I mean, not to say that I feel that they're responsible for that, but it's a fucked-up system. They're exploiting people for sure. Oh, yeah. And what ends up happening is after a large portion of a project is completed, or if there's just like a hill that may be a little bit more insurmountable, that's in the near future, they hire up for it. And as soon as they get over the hill, they start letting people go and hopefully you can find work and hopefully you didn't move to somewhere like Canada Mm -hmm. and then just get fucking railed because your industry decides to move from the U S to Canada to India. Like my old job did. 
Oh damn! What a what a was that a gaming company that did that or was, no, it was just VFX? A, oh, visual. Okay, visual effects. Yeah, so yeah. it's very similar to that. Okay. Yeah the the industry entertainment moves in particular ways. Like people copy each other, right? Like mm-hmm. 3D post processing was popular as fuck for a while, like immensely popular, but it kind of just petered out because people in the U.S. don't want to see these 3d movies Mm -hmm. and then they would send them over to china people in china fucking ate them up for some reason Mm. and they noticed that like they could kind of tamp down the quality of what they're seeing because it doesn't really matter they're just see there to see it for the novelty i guess i don't know and what 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 ended up happening inevitably is that it went from the u.s where it costs a lot per employee to uh, make a 3D movie to Canada, where certain provinces were offering tax breaks and tax incentives per employee. Like one of the big ones was in Toronto slash the Mississauga area in Ontario. What they did was they, I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like 50% tax break on each employee that you hired uh, that was Canadian or American mm-hmm. up to you only got a certain amount of time with the American people, but f- I think it was your first year. But with the Canadian employees, you would get a fat tax break, and any lease that you signed on a building over a certain amount of time, you got tax incentives based on whatever build out you were doing in that building. So, w- effectively, what you're doing is bilking a government for a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of complaints about the company that I used to work for claiming that they did this. I don't know because I don't no longer work there. And I also just didn't keep up with the news, but effectively they got a bunch of money up front, took that money and used it to build a studio out in India. Mm. And from there, they kind of just took the quality and was like, Oh, well not many people in the U S are seeing this. We're not going to hear about it on Twitter. Yeah. So, so they'd rather mass produce, um, kind of, subpar kind of material and just give it to the masses to uh countries with maybe like with bigger populations because you said that china um ate 3d movies up you know they have the biggest population and it's like you know it's like kind of like what people say for uh sitcoms you know you just keep on hitting them with jokes until something sticks kind of deal so it's like kind of like a similar thing like if you just keep on pumping product out like with a large uh base like that somebody's going to pick it up yeah exactly exactly I don't know how the market is doing anymore. Again, I don't do it anymore. So the last that I heard about two years ago, they were like 3D is basically dead in the US. Yeah. 3D TV is not useful. 4K is good. Mm-hmm. VR, a lot of companies try to pivot into VR, which is dying as well. Yeah, I think that VR in the entertainment industry is kind of going down quite a bit. But I think that like you know, business conferences. And I think one of the biggest implementations for VR that I can see kind of being a constant, uh, successful thing, which would put realtors out of business is like doing like a virtual reality, uh, tour of like a home that you want to buy or something like that. Yeah, definitely. I saw a lot of that as I was exiting the industry as well. People, the company that I was working for put together a little house tour and there are definitely office spaces that do it. One of the most interesting implementations that I heard of was a woman who was working for a company that plans out theme park rides. 
Okay. Yeah. And what they would do is they would go in VR, build out the uh, roller coaster or whatever the fuck it was, Tunnel of Love ride or whatever, mm-hmm. and they would run it through in VR, get the scaling right, and if the people who were into the park or investing into this company, to or not investing, but buying from this company, uh, if they liked it, they would just go ahead and put it together. I think that's really good. I mean, especially for like, you know, the theme park industry, like each ride is extremely expensive. Um, so, I mean, it's a lot easier than like putting a concept design down and having to jump it through all these hoops. You can, you know, I know a lot of these companies um, and I know there's like all these rigs that they can get where you put them in the seat and they put the headphones on and it would like simulate them being like in a roller coaster by like moving around and jolting around. Like, yeah, granted that particular part of equipment is going to be really expensive, but it's going to save them money in the long run if somebody can just like essentially like beta test uh, a roller coaster, um, especially in an industry that spends a lot of money. Yeah. It makes a lot of money too. Uh, but I don't know. I, uh, my, you know, my girlfriend, she lives uh, kind of close to six flags in, uh, Santa Clarita. And, uh, I guess six flags is open every day of the year now. Whereas before they would only be open during like the summer and like the busier times. And a lot of people thinking that, or a lot of people are thinking that six flags is going to be going out of business. Yeah. That sounds about right. Being open every day of the year. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Well, I mean, I guess that's full-time employment for everybody. Full-time employment, but I mean, I'm guessing a lot of people probably getting cut. I mean, well, last time we went, you know, just like getting breaked out. Last time we went, uh, I guess it was a super slow day. I mean, it's a huge park and there was only 5,000 people there. And the parts can hold way, way, way more than that. So I definitely think it's a good idea back to the VR thing is that if you do something like that, then it can probably, you know, save some money for an industry that's, you know, I wouldn't say the industry is necessarily dying like thrill rides and stuff, but maybe that particular Six Flags isn't doing so well because it's right next to Disneyland and California Adventure. Yeah, Disney is king. Disney is fucking king. I don't know why. People are so obsessed with Disney, and it's really weird. It's not healthy. <laughs> See, you know I'm a big Disney fan because of Kingdom Hearts, but that's like like classic kind of Disney. You know, like all these new Disney movies that are coming out. You know, I'm a. I can't even tell you the last like mainstream Disney movie that I, that came out that I saw. I saw Frozen. You know, I I, I got it on uh, Redbox like when it came out on Redbox and. Uh, it was pretty good. You but know. you weren't at the theater watching it back to back to back to back. No way. No way. <laughs> I was not singing Let It Go along with Elsa as she's uh, ascending her ice tower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess moving away from that. Yeah. You are also very proficient in D&D. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So, um... So I the first time I played Dungeons and Dragons was back in middle school. Um, I had this really cool English teacher. His name was uh, I forgot. Of course, you don't know his first name, but his name is uh, Mr. Endicott, and he had a role playing game club after work or after school, and uh, it was on Wednesdays. And I was like, well, I don't really have anything to do. I worked it out with my after school program called Six to Six. I worked it out with my mom, and I was like, yeah, I want to do something different instead of just waiting in a building for my mom to pick me up. So he kind of laid down the ground rules. Um, He made it really easy for us. You know, he gave us pre-made characters, and he put us in situations that were pretty simple. 
Uh, but being an English teacher, he was very, very good at painting the picture. And I think from a very young age, I just kind of fell in love with the aspect of like taking on like a different character and just kind of like living a different persona. Because uh, I'm a huge nerd now, and I was kind of like an adolescent nerd back then. Uh, but it wasn't really until recently, and by recently, I mean probably about two and a half years ago, um, I really wanted to get into Dungeons & Dragons. Me and my friends were talking about it, and I just couldn't find any groups or anything like that. But then I found this program called uh, Fantasy Grounds. And Fantasy Grounds is basically a virtual tabletop that is sponsored and licensed by uh, Wizards of the Coast, uh, the creators of uh, Dungeons and & Dragons. And basically what it does is it has everything laid out for you. You know, it has like the combat tracker, it has character creation, like it has a player's handbook that you can basically click and drag to like do everything in, but it still retains the uh, classic role-playing experience without making it seem like a video game. And you actually play with people all over the world and you use like a Discord server or like a TeamSpeak server or something like that. And everything's live. So uh, you do matchmaking via forums. And as soon as I got the program, it was like 30 bucks for like the standard edition. Uh, I was in a game in, within a week. Like I just like I was looking for a game. I found a game. I went on the looking for group forum, you know, typed it in. I did like a little interviewing process with a dungeon master because I get a lot of applicants on this website. Uh, I let him know that was my first time. Uh, the first mission that I ever did, I'll never forget, like as a serious player, is I had a pre-made character, um, and we were in this basement, and we were just getting like pelted, like one after one, by these uh, like rock gnomes. Like rock gnomes and like dwarves, and they just like came in, and we were like in an ambush, and uh, we were there, and we thought that we were going to go down there to investigate... Um, like a missing body for like uh, a like some parents that the client lost like a long time ago. But in reality, the client was like basically a shyster and would take people down into the dungeon and like you know fight them. And so it was a lot of fun because I did a lot of stupid stuff. Like I, I thought that you know I thought way too into it. Like even though it is a role playing experience, in the end, it's still kind of, like it's you still have the confines of like a game. You know, I was like, oh, what if I, you know, do this and I throw this thing in this guy's eye and then he's going to hold his eye and then he's going to be blinded and then he might topple that guy over, you know. Uh, So I learned really quickly that um, earlier on, the best way is just to kill the enemies. Uh, And then the next mission that we did that night is we're basically uh, walking through the forest and we got ambushed by a bunch of uh, werewolf people. And like we were sneaking and I found that there was a pack of werewolf people, uh, werewolf people like hidden over on the horizon. And I thought it would be a really good idea to write on a piece of paper and throw it over to one of my players so that he could catch it and then open it up and read it, you know, trying to be like discreet. Uh, But then the dungeon master, he says, "Okay, you throw it. The guy catches it. But also the werewolf people just saw what you did, and now they're going to attack you. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So, okay. Okay. So those are my, my first two initial playing experiences. Uh, then I joined a short-lived campaign that was part of a uh, pre-made module that you can purchase called The Curse of Strahd. And it's basically a Lovecraftian, like, horror-based uh, vampire lord adventure 
And that was going on for probably about two, three months, and then it disbanded. And I just kind of got a little aggravated. I was like, man, I keep on starting these games, but they just don't really go anywhere, and it's really hard to to find a game. Comparatively speaking, it's easier to find a game than in real life. And so that's when I started looking, and I was like, well, I want to keep on playing, so I think it would be a lot easier to do uh, dungeon mastering. So Mm -hmm. just went on YouTube, you know, good old YouTube. They have every single thing that you can ever imagine. Uh, spent maybe about three weeks just going over uh, tutorials on about like the best way to use a program and implement it and uh, you know good DM tips and like stuff like that and um, I made my first adventure like I wrote it down I created it in this program and basically it's uh, it's a pretty simple adventure um, it's my first one that I wrote it's uh, there's some kids that are uh, kidnapped by a group of slavers and you are hired by the parents to go in there and save the kids. And there's like a bunch of traps and like hidden doors and like enemies and stuff. And actually ran that exact mission probably about four or five times with like three different groups, one shot. And each time I told them like, can you give me like a detailed description of like, it doesn't have to be detailed, but can you like tell me what I need to improve on? Uh, And so a lot of players give me some good, honest feedback. And then I like, I took that to heart and I just kind of like, you know, zoned out, took a little break, and then I just started working on a, a campaign. And then ever since then, I just kind of fell in love with the creating aspect of it. It's That's just a whole dope. lot of fun. That's super sick. And full disclosure for you at home in the audience, I am now a part of one of Jasper's campaigns. Mm-hmm. And we did what, two sessions? Yeah, we did two sessions. We haven't met up in a while, but... uh you know, once holiday season's over, I think a lot of our times are going to be clearing up. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah this one's really nice. It's, um, it's first time doing anything like this for me. It's called, <clears throat> it's a endeavors and piracy, uh, rise to infamy. And it's basically a rags to riches, uh, pirate campaign. And I, I sent a group text out and I was doing a poll. Like, should I start writing a pirate campaign or should I start writing a thief campaign? And everybody in the group was like, oh, yeah, let's do pirates. So, uh, yeah, I started it out. You know, they're on the ship and then all of a sudden everything's going great. And then shit hits the fan. You know, ship explodes. Everything's going to shit. And then the very next uh, session, they're on this deserted island. They have to find a way to get off of it. Yeah, I'm excited to see what's coming up next. How about some spoilers? <laughs> Can't do that. Can't Shit. do that. Can't do that. Tio Sharptide and uh, Tio Sharptide is uh, Denzel's character. Yeah. Ladies man, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he reflects a lot of me. Um, mm-hmm. He's very thirsty. I'm very thirsty. And that's where the similarities end. <laughs> he can fight. I can't. Uh, he's in good shape. I'm not. And you know what? You live you live the life you want to in D&D. That's why I love it, man. Like the character that I made for the persistent uh, campaign that I was on for about three to four months, his name was Shakram the Crimson King. Um, I named him after a song by a progressive rock band called King Crimson that uh, one of the owners of my job, he introduced me to. And they're very like fantasy forward. But uh, basically Shakram's backstory is he's a tiefling, which is like a demon person. It's one of the races that you can play in the game. And uh, his class is a bard, which, you know, for those of you who don't know, is basically somebody who uses music and magic to uh, attack their enemies or, you know, basically they use that to do everything. Uh, So I 
basically made this standard bard. You know, he has like kind of like a loose morality scale. He's just in it for the money kind of deal. You know, he's like a funny guy. He's kind of like a jokester, which is, you know, pretty resonant with my real life self. Um, but, you know, of course, I can't cast spells. I can't, like, do any of that stuff. I do love music in real life. And me and my friends, we do uh, we do rap music. Uh, but that's kind of why I chose the Bard. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun doing all these situations, role-playing. Um, even, the, even though the campaign that I played was a text-only campaign. It was a four-month text-only campaign. So, Damn. yeah, basically it's like when you type in your character, when you speak in a character, just like in a video game, you would see your characters um, like avatar and speaking in the chat box in a little speech bubble. And then you could also type in a different command and it would be your action. So it's like speech, action. Uh, and then you can also, if you want to like, if the dungeon master is talking directly to you, then he can like whisper to you. You can whisper to other players without the dungeon master even seeing so it was a lot of fun, you know, like when you're typing it out, you have a little bit more time to kind to um, come up with the decisions that you want to do. But I, I really like acting it out with my voice. Yeah. You know? That's where it becomes a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, for sure. What are some tips that you have for me as somebody who's going to be trying to DM his first campaign actually this Sunday? Oh, oh nice, nice, nice. Yeah. I picked out a module. Yeah, it's which a one is thirty it? minute campaign? I'd have to look it up. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a dungeon rescue one. Okay, at what level is it? Zero to one. Oh, that's absolutely perfect. Yeah, because with with a with a lower mission like that, uh, you don't have to really worry about all these spells all these people have and all these abilities that all your players have. Uh, like hands down, number one biggest tip, and I think you'd do really well with it. Uh, is you got to always have room for improvising. Um, all my campaigns I create myself, so like I, I envision that they would go a certain way, but they they never go the way that I at like make the campaign to go. Uh, you know, if you do the module, if you're using a pre-made module, uh, read it over, check it out, and uh, you know you'd say like, oh, you know, you have to go here. And then ideally the next encounter would be like this gang of bandits or something like that. And they'd fight the bandits, but then you might have like a curveball. You know, you might not, you might have a player that says like, Hey, I want to chop down this tree. And then, um, I want to like harvest some wood or something like that. You know, like there's something kind of random like that. You always got to have room to, uh, improvise. Um, I guess like another thing that would go into that is just know the world that you're playing in. You know, like imagine if you were like the creator of the world, because I've never played a pre-made module, but I do know that they give you like some freedom and some wiggle room to make it your own. Uh, You know, one thing that I like to do as another tip, it's not necessarily a tip, but it's something I like to do to like add enjoyment is I use roll 20 for audio. Um, because if you have audio kind of gives them like that full immersion and it kind of makes you kind of forget that you're playing the game, you know, um, you know, if you just have it silent, you know, you just have the sound of like rolling dice and just like talking and stuff like that. You know, that's cool too. Uh, some people like to just play like music in the background, but like, I really like to, you know, do the full immersion. It's super easy on roll 20. You just type in anything you want and then you just, uh, you know, pick from what they have and then you just cue it as you play. Um, you know, just know the basic rules. Um, you have the player's handbook, you have the dungeon master's guide and the monster manual. 
Um, most games, including my game, we had a physical player's handbook, um, which we don't have for our game just yet because we lost it. But the previous one we did, um, and I had the virtual player's handbook. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with stopping and referring back to the rules because there are so many rules in, uh, in that game. But, um, yeah, I mean, just have, have fun with it, you know. Uh, another thing is crowd control. You know, you want to find a way to con- to make sure that, you know, everybody's having a good time. You know, the most important thing is to make sure that everybody's having fun at the end of the day. Uh, but you also have to have that balance, you know, like, you know, you don't want it to like, you know, be 25% gameplay and like 75% like bullshitting. So you have to find a way to like, you know, friendly push them in the direction of progression. Okay. And if things aren't going anywhere if the if your players are have no idea what to do um throw them a bone you know throw them like a little like bone that wouldn't necessarily give too much away you know like they you know if they're having a hard time finding like the bandit camp or something like that you can say you notice off in the distance that there's a bush that looks like there's fresh footsteps and then that then somebody is like oh i investigate those footsteps and then that'll like lead him to it. So definitely if things are kind of going slow, try to find a way to throw them a bone to take them where they need to go. But uh, don't like do it in the to the point where it's like like a video game where it's like like uh, level one, level two, level three, level four. Like this is the start. This is the end because you got to give your players freedom. Okay, cool. So for the first campaign, do you recommend like drawing out a map or like even using a map as the guide for for the campaign i don't think the module that i chose has a map with mm-hmm. it so i mean it's got the out options outlined within it mm-hmm. but there's no map there's none of that so should i draw a map for spacing or should i just try to keep it within my head like an understanding of how everything is spatially so there the, so there's two there's a couple of ways to do it so there if you do everything in your head uh that's what's called theater of the mind um, theater of the mind is basically where everything is in everybody's player's head. And if you're going to go that route without having to put down a, you know, a physical map where you have miniatures moving those around, I recommend that like for the dungeon master, maybe using like a laptop or something like that and using a, like maybe create it in some program, whatever program you want to use and draw like a rough sketch of the outline of the map and like where key things are that only you see. And uh, you remind your players where they're at if they're wondering where they're at. And you can see where your players are at at all times and then maybe create little um, key points. You know, when I run the campaign, um, you know, since I do it virtually, I have the physical map or I have the in-game map. But then I also have a Dungeon Masters version of every map with uh, little bullet points that would have be numbered. So it'd say A, B, C, D, you know, so on and so forth. And then I would refer to my notes like this is what could possibly happen in a, you know, that way it's, it's easier because you don't have to have that much real estate. You know, it's all in your it's all in their head. And all you got to know is if these characters are here and they move in this particular direction, if they enter in the A domain or the B domain or what have you, then this is what could possibly happen. Uh, another thing, though, let's say if you don't like back to the, you know, the, the whole mapping of the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, theater of the mind is one. Um, another thing that you can do. Um, and you, you know, you have to let your players know, like you, you, they can't metagame. Metagaming is basically like 
for those of you guys listening that don't know, it's basically like you're playing the game like a video game. So you're like, oh, I see that there's something pretty interesting over there. I'm going to head in that direction. Like you don't, you can't use knowledge that your character doesn't know, uh, which could be kind of a problem with this um, next thing I'm going to say. But it's also really good and you know relatively cheap as you can buy a game mat. A blank game mat, and you—it's dry erase, so you can just draw your map on there, mm-hmm. um, and then you just grab miniatures. Doesn't have to be anything cool, you know. You can use dimes for your players, and you can use quarters for large enemies, and nickels for smaller enemies, and stuff like that. And just the players have to remember uh, what's what. But that's a really good, like, easy way to like write your own uh, or to draw your own and create your own map. Okay. So if this module that you have is like. You know, like a one location area or whatever it's going to be, um, just draw them out. You know, like if you have multiple locations, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a good drawing. It just has to be a visual representation of what's going on because all of the painting of the picture is going on in your head. So, okay. Um, mats are really good. You can get mats online, game stores. You know, they're not too expensive, but there's, there's a lot of ways to go about it. I prefer personally for myself is I use Fantasy Grounds because, um, you know, you can create your own maps uh, online. You can download maps. You can buy maps. And you can actually grab tokens and create a Fog of War effect so that you have the whole entire map that the Dungeon Master can see, but the players can't see it. They can only see what surround them or places that they've already been. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's definitely familiar. I have to see what the TV game is like uh, where we're going to be playing because I know they have like a big projector, mm-hmm. but like running a cable up to it might be in the issue, but I've got a long ass cable anyway. But anyway, yes, that's dope. Yeah. Fog of War. Yeah, it's great. Fantasy Grounds is, is, my, is my favorite way to do it. It just makes everything easier. Um, and like I said, since it is licensed by Wizard of the Coast, there's no errors. There's nothing like that can go wrong. I mean, there's plenty that can go wrong in the campaign, but like everything's kind of laid out for you, um, and it's cheap. You know, you can. There's a bunch of free websites that you can get um, maps and stuff like that that kind of loosely fit um, whatever the pre-made module has, and then you can kind of work around that and cater around that. So okay. I'll definitely have to take a look at what's available for download. The only thing that's really even slightly off-putting about Fantasy Grounds is the fact that you have to pay. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's not even that much, so it's Yeah, so it's it's $30 for a lifetime standard um, edition, and then you have to also additionally buy the uh, Player's Handbook virtual. But, like, buying the Player's Handbook, it's not just information. Like, it also... Has a bunch of stuff like a weapons forge, NPC creator. Um, you know, you can create personal characters, of course, mm-hmm. or player characters. And uh, it's really like super quick drag and drop. You know, it's like if you're making a druid, you go to druid level one, drag it over, auto populates, everything's like done for you. Pick your skills, auto populates, cast a spell, um, and it will like auto ticket. Um, but there is a free version. You know, there is a free version. Um, that you can use just to do like the basics. You know? Okay. Do you like, know if there's like a tablet version? There might be. There right. might be. I mean, sorry. I'm if you if you see me going back and forth between my phone, it's taking notes. So of I course, can of course. Yeah. Do some stuff. But anyway, 
tablet version. There might be. There might be a tablet version. Yeah, there might be a tablet version. Um, I'm not a thousand percent sure if this would work for DMs, but I know that Dungeons and Dragons themselves, the company, they created something called D&D Beyond, which is like a mobile companion app used to help, um, you know, take track of your or keep track of your character that you're playing. I don't know if they have DM implementations just yet, but uh, yeah, definitely look forward into look into that one too. Okay, cool. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Very, very helpful information being dispensed from the D&D God. I'm not a D&D God. I'm like a D&D acolyte demigod, if you will. <laughs> a demigod. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I appreciate it, though. It's mm-hmm. good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, one, one big component of this podcast is beer. Yeah. Very large component of this podcast. Lots of talk about podcasts. Even somebody brewed during our first uh, few episodes. Somebody oh, nice. brewed a beer and named it after it. It's called 30 Hours of Hours. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, by Willard TK. I don't know if he still listens, but shout out to you, Willard. Uh, you have a history in beer. Yes. Yeah, I, um, I love beer, craft beer. Uh, when I was younger, you know, when I was insert age, however you want, uh, I was a, a Coors guy, you know, I was a Bud Light kind of guy. Uh, and then when I got a little older before I joined the industry, I was definitely a forties kind of guy. I love Mickey's and uh, old English and, uh, one of my number one favorites and still is my number one favorite malt liquor, even though I don't drink them too much. Uh, King Cobra. Oh, geez. Yeah, I know. It's pretty gross. It's pretty gross. I think the whole snake made me feel tough when I drank it. <laughs> um, yeah, so one of me and my good buddies from uh, high school, uh, his name's John, uh, we were both into beer because his dad is pretty prevalent in the craft beer industry. And he basically told us, he said, like, hey, uh, if you guys don't really know what you guys are doing, we're around 19. He's like, hey, if you guys don't really know what you want to do with your career, um, you should look in the craft beer industry because it started booming up here in San Diego. And so basically what he did is he bought a bunch of homebrewing equipment for himself to use for himself. Uh, but he let us have free reigns. The only thing is we had to buy all our own ingredients and we had to, you know, clean it up and sanitize. And so we were both super excited. So we both like watched like YouTube videos and uh, bought a bunch of books and because... Uh, you know, not trying to put any ideas in anybody's head, but you legally you don't have to be 21 to buy all the ingredients to make beer. But of course, all the things we were doing were under our parents' supervision. And uh, so what we did is we bought, uh, you know, our first homebrew kit that came with um, a pot that we brought that was basically just a pot that we brewed in. And uh, the first beer that we ever made was a porter. Uh, it was extract porter, which basically I like to tell people it's basically the Betty Crocker of homebrewing, where all you got to do is you get the water, you put some powder in, which is basically powderized grains and malts and stuff like that, and uh, you just boil it, throw the hops in, put in some uh, fermenters, which are basically plastic buckets with airlocks, and then you call it a day. Uh, of course, it's not that simple, but that's basically it in a nutshell. And our first beer we made was uh, Earth Dragon, because we're both big... Uh, Big nerds. So uh, we named it uh, Earth Dragon. And uh, ever since our first brew, uh, me and my buddy, we got really excited. And we just kept on brewing beer and brewing beer. And then finally we moved on to what's called uh, all grain, which is basically what professional brewers do. 
Uh, it's where you start out with the grain and you mill it, which basically is just a fancy way of just grinding it up. Uh, you mill it and then you put it in something called the mash tun, uh, which is basically like steeping the grains to get all the sugars and the proteins and all the good stuff that you'll need to give it flavor. And then you take that liquid and you move it to your brew kettle and then you brew that. And then once you brew that, then you can put like different additives that won't burn in the boil, like hops and stuff like that, cool it down. And then you put it in a fermenter. And, um, you know, then once it's done fermenting a couple weeks, once you throw the yeast in, once it gets down to room temperature, then you bottle it up and then, uh, you let it bottle and carbonate for about two weeks and then you're good to drink. You know, it takes about maybe like a month to do a brew session that way is like seven to eight hours. Um, maybe not seven to eight. I mean, like probably like preparation and breakdown, maybe like five to six. Uh, so we just kept on brewing and brewing and brewing. So as soon as I turned 21, I used to work for one of the big dogs. Um, and it was really cool, you know, like I really liked the company. Um, it was really hard interviewing process. I had no professional beer experience. Um, but I homebrewed and it's funny because during these two job fairs, I thought like, Oh, okay. Like I'm going to have a competitive edge against these other interviewers. Uh, and then I was thrown for a loop when they told me that one of the interviewing questions was, do you homebrew? So it's basically like saying they anticipate that people homebrew to get into this craft beer industry. Uh, and I just wanted to go front of the house. And so it took me two job fairs. I finally got the job, started busing. I was busing for about four months. Um, and then I was bar backing for about a year and I was bartending for about a year. And I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot with that company. It's a great company. Even though they got bought out by Constellation Brands, I'll never knock them. Um, but then after some time, I felt like it was time to move on. And I moved to a smaller brewery. And uh, things are great. I mean, I love beer. Uh, the buddy of mine, he works at a brewery too. Um, his dad is still in the industry. His dad still, you know, is pretty well known in the uh, craft beer industry now so i was very fortunate enough for him to uh to basically give us the tools for success that's dope yeah. that's dope how many uh, how many original recipes did you come up with not very many uh to be perfectly honest i think we just wanted to hone our craft um we tried to make an ipa and it came out absolutely terrible um basically <laughs> uh -huh. what we did is we went online and we found all the flavor profiles of all these ipas and we paired them together what we thought would be really good together you know we found a a hop strain, that's what I meant. We looked and found the hop strains. Uh, we found a hop strain, and we're like, oh, this one has lemon characteristics and uh, orange characteristics. All right, all right, cool. And then we grab that, and you're like, all right, this one has piney characteristics and this, this, and that. We're like, all right, cool, we'll buy that one. And then uh, we really screwed ourselves because we didn't really know the right ratios to put in. So we were just like dumping them in there, we buy bags, dumping in. And then, you know, by the time it was ready to drink, it was just awful it was just terrible i mean like way too much hops it was basically like just drinking like hop sludge uh but one of our uh one of our more successful uh batches we did a, a variation of our red ale that we did extract so we did an extract red ale pre-made ingredient you know basically tells you all the stuff that you need to do and we, we tweaked it a little bit and we called it igor the red uh like a viking uh kind of name 
And then we made uh, Igor the Red kind of ourselves based off of a pre-existing um, standard red ale formula. So like you can go on websites and you can look up how to make a red ale. And then all you got to do is just buy the ingredients and then just like tweak it a little bit. You know, maybe I want to add a little bit of vanilla to it. Or maybe I want to add this hop instead of that hop. Or maybe I want to, you know, boil it for uh, 60 minutes instead of 90 minutes, you know, and just like tweak it a little bit. Uh, so I say that our red was probably one that we made that was probably our best of our own creations. But, you know, a lot of the stuff that we did is we just go on websites and find people's personal uh, recipes. And then we would just take those and tweak them just slightly. That's dope. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we were homebrewing for about two years. And then uh, his dad got really busy. And he took all the homebrew equipment and he put it in his uh, storage unit. And he basically said, he's like, yeah, it's, it's there if you want it. But uh, his dad has a lot of stuff in his storage unit that is part of the industry that he works in. So basically, we would have to spend like two hours moving everything out, grab the equipment, brew with it. And then, you know, mind you, would have to put everything back in. And then take everything out, put the equipment in the back, and then put everything back in. Uh-oh. So it's like, you know, my buddy was living in a house setting at the time, but now he lives in a, a smaller setting where he can't necessarily brew there. We'd have to brew at his parents' house. And, uh, you know, his dad doesn't want to hold that homebrewing equipment there anymore. And so, like, probably, you know, maybe around, like, 20 is when we kind of stop homebrewing because our access to all the equipment was gone. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, by that time I started working in the craft beer industry. Um, a couple years later, he started working in the craft beer industry and both of us just haven't looked back. You know, I'm having a really good time where I'm at now. Um, I love beer. You know, I, you know, it's cool working for a smaller company, you know, versus a big dog like Ballast Point or like Stone or like, you know, Ale Smith is still pretty, pretty small. I mean, it's big, but comparatively speaking, it's not too big. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Archer and stuff like that. All those places are great. I have no ill will towards any craft breweries um, in San Diego. There's one in particular that's I don't really care for, but I won't say that one. I'll never <laughs> slander another brewery uh, uh, publicly. But let's just say that these guys aren't very nice. Um, the thing is, is that like craft breweries, the thing is, is like, even though you're in a competition, you guys are kind of all friends because there's an even bigger threat, which is big beer, you know, Anheuser-Busch, you know, Heineken, Miller Coors and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, I don't want to say like a rebel force, but in a way it kind of is, you know, independent brewers, they get to have a lot of wiggle room and do whatever they want to do and buy whatever they want to buy and this, this and that. And big companies don't like that, you know, they want to... Uh, take complete control. Um, they're even doing really shady backdoor deals like buying the rights to particular hop strains. Um, for a while, it was really hard to get African um, hops. Uh, the brewery I work at, we just got our hands on some African hops and there was like a two-year like African hop freeze because the big boys bought them all out. 
Yeah, there's something similar happened like that with vanilla, uh, Madagascar vanilla in particular. Um, John over at Thunderhawk was having an issue with that. Mm. And like Big Beer, like I can understand where the problems come in involving Big Beer. Yeah, and, I don't like, I don't dislike Big Beer, by the way, like drinking yeah. it. I mean, it's, it's time and a place, dog. Miller yeah. High Life, the only yeah. life I know. Hams. Ham, yeah, I'm a hampian. You know, I'm a ham guy. I'll drink the shit out of some hams, especially at the Friendly. Mm. All right, there's a spot in San Diego, for those of you listening. Uh, it's called the Friendly. And what they do is they do pizza and flat top burgers, which are basically smash burgers. But there's no customization on those fucking burgers. All it is is just a patty, cheese, and this garlic aioli on some toasted buns. And it's fucking perfect. Oh, yeah. It's perfect. It's the perfect burger. It's incredible, and it's great when you're drunk. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Get turned up on the weekend, eating some bergs. Eating oh, some yeah. bergs, yeah. eating some pizzas, and drinking some hams. Yep. They do have, what, like one or two craft beers in there? Yeah, they have um, some beers from Melvin. Uh, and Melvin Thorn Street? And Thorn Street, yeah. yeah. Both San Diego breweries. Yeah. Um, so they're definitely keeping it local, which is super cool. Um, but, you know, I was telling some people earlier today at work, um, just some regulars or some people actually visiting from out of town. I said, sometimes I like to humble myself, you know, I don't want to be a, a, a craft beer, like douchebag. I actually yeah. used to be a craft beer douchebag, uh, around when I was around 20, you know, I was like, Oh, I can't believe you're drinking that. I can't believe you're drinking Coors, man. What a loser. <laughs> uh, and then I was kind of like that when I worked for Bass point back in the day. I was all like, wow, what a bunch of jerks. They don't know what beer is. Granted, I just turned 21. And uh, it wasn't until I started bartending or barbacking because I worked behind the bar that I realized that people are, are set in their ways, you know, especially a lot of people like older people. If they've been drinking Miller Coors their whole life, you know, that's great. You know, let them do that. Maybe we'll have something that's available for them that might be to their palate. If not, it's not the end of the world. And it's definitely not a cool thing to talk down on somebody just because they prefer something that's that they like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a lot of breweries are starting to put together like lighter, mm -hmm. less complex beers f to reach out to that audience. Like, uh, St. Archer, for instance, did a Hellas lager, mm -hmm. which was supposed to mimic Coors Banquet beer. Yeah. And they also did a Japanese lager, which I will stand by. One of the most banging drinks I've ever had. I know. I want to get oh, my hands on my that. God. I love Japanese rice lagers. Pure Project did a really good one. That's dope. A really good one. God damn. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they can, there, there's definitely ways for breweries to reach out and kind yeah. of get that audience anyway. It's not as if like that beer is any better because it came from a particular place. It's yeah. just that like sometimes you like something better. Like five breweries, I can guarantee you, at least in the early tens, like 2014, 2013, somewhere around there, there were probably like, 10 or 15 breweries that had peanut butter stouts. Yeah. yeah <laughs> they yeah. were super popular at the time. And I guarantee not many places are still producing one. Oh, absolutely. It's and, definitely a trend game in the craft beer industry. You know, yeah. we just recently, like the trend that was probably like four years ago, 
uh, or sours, you know, sours where, I mean, they've always been around, you know, you have like Flanders red, which are basically like tart, uh, tart, like Belgian beers, like tart wheats. And they're basically something that's been around for a while, but they, for whatever reason, they gain popularity. Uh, so everybody started doing sours and stuff like that, which are still pretty prevalent. But then the next big thing, which we're still like on the end of it, um, but was hazy IPAs. Um, people call it the haze craze, you know. Uh, you got everybody doing hazy IPAs. Where I work, we did hazy IPAs. We didn't we didn't want to do them, but we're like, you know what? People want them, we'll do them. Yeah. Um, Weren't they initially called New England IPAs? Or is that something different? Yeah, so, like, a New England IPA is not going to be super hot forward like these West Coast IPAs. Um, one of the brewers where I work at, um, he made a really good point, and he said that in California, uh, particularly in San Diego, we have super-duper hard water. Uh, and the heart of the water is really good for big, bitter beers like an IPA, uh, not so much for a, a nice, light, soft beer like a Pilsner. Uh, whereas over on the East Coast, they have softer waters. Not everywhere, but like a lot of places have softer waters, so the IPAs are going to taste a lot different. And with the softer water, you're not really going to want to use um, the really big, overbearing, hot flavors. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's kind of like a bastardization of saying it, but like basically... Uh, our pale ale that we're used to over here in San Diego uh, is going to be like their East Coast IPA in, um, in the East Coast. Um, but a lot of the East Coast IPAs will have like that hazy characteristic. But uh, for instance, a lot of the breweries, including the one that I work at and the ones surrounding me, they do a West Coast hazy IPA, which is basically a compromise on a craft beer style that doesn't even exist in the first place, which is a hazy IPA. And uh, basically, it's just like overhopped, like hop to the roof to our San Diego super hoppy palette uh, hazy IPA. Um, but there is a new trend that is emerging. That's why I was saying that the hazy IPA is kind of like not necessarily on its way out. It's definitely going to have some sa- uh, staying power, but it's brute IPAs. Yeah, yeah. yeah everyone's doing brute IPAs now. Uh, in San Francisco, I couldn't tell you which brewery, but in San Francisco, somebody created this brute style IPA not too long ago, maybe about eight months ago. Another, you know, not real style, but that's the fun thing about craft beers. You can literally do whatever you want. Uh, but it's basically an IPA that is going to emulate a champagne as far as like effervescence, mouthfeel, uh, bubbles. Some breweries will even use champagne yeast to give it that drier characteristic. Um, usually they range between like seven and eight. They're pretty in like high end, like higher alcohol beers. Um, a couple other breweries, uh, they like to go for the lower end of the spectrum and focus more on the, uh, drinkability, uh, more on the hot profile, not putting too much malt in it, which would boost the sugar up, which would boost the alcohol content. Uh, so it's just like a different experience, you know, it's like a hybrid between a champagne and a beer and, uh, it's not for everybody. Um, are you saying it's the champagne of beer? Ooh. Miller, you might have a suit on your hands. I'm just um, saying they, you know, they just might. I mean, you know, Keystone light got mad at stone or no stone got mad at Keystone light. The, there was a whole uh, Keystone light debacle that happened uh, yeah, four months ago because their branding was putting emphasis on the stone mm-hmm. rather than the Keystone. Yep. 
Yeah, sketchy business practice. But you know what? These companies do what they can to get ahead. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why craft beer is, is a lot of fun because not every craft brewery is, is innocent and honest, but uh, a lot of them are. You know, a lot of them try to be. A lot of them do really good business practice uh, practices. Um, you know, of course, they're, they want to make money, but they're not in it for the money like these big guys. Yeah. But uh, it's fun. You know, like you're saying, like, peanut butter beers my favorite peanut butter beer peanut butter stout is a carl strauss peanut butter cup stout i'll have to try that i have never had that oh it's so good there was this one spot do you remember that one time i was in where you work Mm. and i met that random dude Mm. the dude from austin texas vaguely 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 so he basically after we left there because he talked me into going to a brewery with him in North County, mm. we went up to the spot. I can't remember the name for the life of me, but they had a peanut butter cookie stout. Oh, okay. Which was a banger. Yeah. It was really good. It was probably, it wasn't one of the best stouts I've ever had because I, I'm not a huge fan of dessert stouts anymore, but it was really fucking good. And up until that point, the one holding the number one place in my heart and my mind was Belgian Beaver's Peanut Butter Stout, which was the one that eventually just stuck around among all oh, yeah. of the other ones. That, one of their mainstays now. Yeah, it's really fucking good. It's good to pair with the ice cream, that particular beer. Yeah. And get some uh, you know, nice vanilla ice cream. I like to do vanilla ice cream. I like vanilla ice cream, too. Yeah, it goes really well with the uh, the stout because basically, you know, if you have like a really basic ice cream, you don't you want it to pair with the, the beer and not overpower it. Um, an idea that I've never done, but somebody, um, when I used to work at Ballast Point, they recommended it to for one of our other beers is that if you get a, and this is a super good idea, I'm definitely going to do it, but if you get a like a beer that has like a stout, for instance, right, if you get the peanut butter, uh, milk stout from belching beaver get that beer put it in a like a a solo cup put that in the freezer and then basically cut off the solo cup and then shave that over your ice cream oh so that like that way you can like eat iced beer over your ice cream so like you're eating the beer with your ice cream and that's just a very unique way to um to uh, pair it with ice cream i haven't done it yet um, but it's a very easy, you know, very simple idea, especially since uh, beer can freeze, you know, hard alcohol can't freeze, but beer can definitely freeze. That's fucking tight. Yeah. I'll have to try that. Yeah. Don't put it in a summer. bottle though, because yeah. it, the bottle Yikes. will explode. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, Jasper, for joining me. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it, dude. We'll do it again. Okay. Okay. I'm down. Hell yeah. All right. Next time we'll talk about, um, monster hunter oh you don't want to get me started about that game <laughs> all right you know me and my friends were in a rap group um and i don't want to give too much of my personal information away uh but i will say that me and my friends are in a rap group we go by disciples of the canyon uh you can follow us on instagram at disciples of the canyon uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud. That's where the majority of our music is. We are working to get our music on Spotify. A good amount of our music's on YouTube, so you can follow us there. Um, we're just a rap group based here in San Diego. Uh, it's me and my two good friends from high school, and uh, we just like to hang out and make good music, you know? And, you know, that's about it. I'm not really trying to, you know, toot my own horn or anything. I'm just trying to have a good time. But, uh, yeah, Fuck check yeah. us out. 
All right. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Peace. Cheers. All right. Well, thank you again, Jasper, for joining us on this edition of Real Nerd Hours, episode 101. Three more weeks, and then we're hitting the all-too-good 104 two-year anniversary. Yeah, yeah. If you want to leave us a voicemail, drop it at 413-SAVAGE-1. Savage. Yeah. Uh, just give us a call. Drop us a voicemail. I'll listen to it. I'll play it on that episode. And yeah. Yeah. So far, we only have one. Don't leave us hanging. Don't don't make us embarrass ourselves. I'm over here asking for voicemails. <laughs> I'm like, if we if we have the one, I think we're gonna have two total. I'll, like, I'll call I, in. I know of two. I will call in. Don't seven embarrass times. us. Don't <laughs> fucking embarrass us. I'm over here. I'm sitting here, and I'm like, yo, we have such a great fan base, but nobody's leaving us fucking voicemails. It's a voicemail. Don't be scared to use your voice. Okay, Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Get out there. Episode 104 look out for it yeah uh thanks everybody for listening we'll catch you uh next thursday y'all have a good night